Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of our podcast. I hope everybody's staying safe and healthy during this self-isolation period uh, and hopefully things get back to normal soon. Today's episode is with an incredible lady by the name of Beth McEwen. Seeing a loved one in distress is heartbreaking, but what happens when you feel like the professional support you reach out for isn't enough? Beth McEwen is a high school teacher, a mother and a widow. Her husband Grant died after a long struggle with mental illness in 2018. During the battle, they experienced the cracks that many fall through when trying to get support in both the public and private mental health systems. Determined to see change, Beth started discussions with Queensland politicians in April 2019. She hopes for a new specialised service specifically for mental health patients and changes to the way patients and families are supported when they leave hospital following mental illness diagnosis. Tune in as Beth tells her story and how she believes these changes can contribute to a health system designed to support families in distress. All right, welcome to today's episode of Pebble in the Pond podcast. Uh, Today with me, I have the pleasure of introducing Beth McEwen from Toowoomba. Beth, welcome uh, to the conversation and thank you for coming and sharing your story with us. Thank you for inviting me. No, that's okay. Tell us uh, a little bit about your background. As a, I know you're a high school teacher, but let's uh, tell me. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, geez, where do I start? I'm 36. I'm a mother. Um, recently widowed, um, and oh, I know I'm someone who loves cars and art and you know all sorts of different eclectic things. Yeah, cool. So, uh, so how many kids do you have? I've got two. Two. What are their ages? Four and six. Oh wow. Busy time for you. <laughs> Always busy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's exciting. And cars, what sort of cars? Vintage cars? Oh, like, uh, look. Um, are you into the racing cars? No, look, I've, I managed to get one of the last model Commodores, which is very exciting. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah, I've been a bit of a car lover from way back. Had many amazing models. So, yeah, hopefully to start maybe a car collection in the next couple of years, to Good be honest you. with you. Good yeah. Uh, and uh, have you always been in Toowoomba? No. No, Um, my husband and I, uh, we moved to Mackay in 2007. So we we met in Toowoomba, lived in Brisbane. I taught in Brisbane for a while and then we moved to Mackay before we moved back down to the southeast. So you went to school in Toowoomba? Yeah. uh, And that's where you met your husband, Grant? Yeah. And what what school was that? At Concordia College. Oh, okay. Yep. Heard some good things about that school. (laughs) Uh, and then you went down to Brisbane. Where you, did you study in Brisbane? Yeah, I went to QUT. Okay. I did a Bachelor of Creative Industries and Education. Um, and Grant eventually followed me down there and he worked different jobs while we were down there before we moved to Mackay. 
And so you always wanted to be a teacher? Yes. Okay. Just that was, you. yeah, look, I think I went through a period in high school where I believed that I was so over school, I didn't want to go, did, didn't want to go at all. Um, and I was going to be a florist or a jeweler. That's what I was going to be. And then Grant really wanted to go to the QUT open day when we were in year 12. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I sort of bummed along because I wanted to spend the day with him. And I ended up walking into this course session on a Bachelor of Creative Industries and um, Education. And I walked out going, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And I just knew. Wow. Yeah. So that was it for me. Good on you. <laughs> that's good. I mean, it's, it's amazing how it comes to people at different times. But uh, I mean, how fortunate you were to get that at, at such a young age. Yeah. You, yeah. Very it. lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. And so tell me about Grant. What was what was his profession? Like, What what, would he, what was he doing? A bit of everything? Yeah. He... he Grant... Um, had many different careers. He actually started out um, doing a cadetship in civil engineering with main roads in Toowoomba. Um, and then he worked at the Fire Ant Centre in Brisbane. He was a team leader there. Um, and then after we moved to Mackay, he actually started working as an NDT. Do you know what that is? Probably not. No. A non-destructive tester. So there's someone who goes around to mine sites and areas like that and they actually go through and they check like dump trucks and drag lines for you know massive faults that have to be repaired. So, yeah, wow. so he did that for five, six years and then he did some other testing fields until he died. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you went to Mackay. Yep. Uh, and that was about, what was that, 07? 2007, yeah. 2007? Yep. Uh, and you were, you were a school teacher up there? Yep. Okay, well, how was that experience in Mackay? Uh, look, Mackay was really interesting because we saw... We, we moved up there just as the burnt mining boom was starting to get really crazy. Mm. So, you know, we, we moved up. We had this little scungy two-bedroom apartment that cost us like $280 a week wow. for nothing. Um, but it was just the lifestyle was so exciting and it was so different. And so we lived there, though. We saw the boom hit its peak where, you know, like I think at one time, Mikhail had like the highest selling, was the largest selling um, HSV dealership in Australia. Mm. You know, so it was money everywhere. We used to joke about mining tax. If there's anywhere near high vis, everything, you know, had a tax of 50% more on it. Mm. Um, mm. And then we saw the crash of the boom as well. So when we left Mackay, we saw families selling their homes just so they could pay the difference on the mortgage mm. and rent somewhere else because that was cheaper way to live for them. So I was up there a couple of weeks ago and it's starting to pick back up. But yeah, it was definitely sort of the highs and the lows of what a mining boom can do to a community. Yeah, and it's it's an important point you bring up because like you say, it's uh, it's one thing to have the boom and, and while mm -hmm. while the uh, while the tide's in and it floats everything. Yeah. Uh, you just you just don't realise the destruction that can happen mm, well, to the community. We saw it like even at my school within a year, you know, families being able to pay for school excursions and to do all that, you know. There was a bit of a mentality too along, amongst some of the parents. It didn't matter whether they were away as long as they went on massive holidays and as long as they had all of the things. So that wasn't very good for the kids either. And then so we went from, from them having everything and having lots of disposable income to all of a sudden not even being able to pay their school fees within a really short period of time. And that does massive things to a community. And did you, speaking of that, obviously, just in your opinion, I mean, mm. did you see much change in kids in that? Absolutely. In that did it Absolutely. affect them? Yeah, there was, I think there was a really severe drug problem for a while amongst the kids. There was also, um, I think, just a, there was a big mentality too along the idea of, well, mining's it, what's all I need to do is mining, which is great. But unfortunately, as they've now seen, mining doesn't last forever. Mm. You no, know, you can't rely on that. So um, I still remember at one of my first schools having this massive argument with my year 12 home group 
because I suggested that a cut like that they go and actually just check out JCU to see what their options were. And they're like, why are you anti-mining? I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not anti-mining, <laughs> but I just want everyone to realize that there are other options out there. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's about the long term, right? I mean, yeah. and you can see the devastation. You know what? Even in the, like we, uh, we've had a good affiliation with uh, Karatha and the city of Karatha yeah. through another conference and, uh, even just the lessons that they've learned from that. I mean, you can see just the, the struggles of, and you don't think about these things, but the, you know, how do we get a, a Garbo to come in and, and do his job or her job yeah. when, you know, they're paying them 70000 a year or something and then all of a sudden the mining companies take all the drivers because, you know, they're getting double that and, and they're like, well, how what do we... Do? Yeah. But then there's the follow-on effect, well, what about the rents? How do we get someone to afford to rent mm-hmm. here? on that wage now or even people to pack the shelves at Woolies or, or work at the drive through at McDonald's. Yeah, we had all the same problems and then you had this whole another level of whinging because um, migrants were coming in to, you know, run Maccas because mm. it wasn't anybody else. Oh, the migrants taking all our jobs. We're like, well, you want Maccas, you can't have the yeah. fact <laughs> Yeah, and you don't want to do that job. Someone's <laughs> yeah. going to do it. And I think too, I have a, like a lot of my friends, I still see a lot of them so often, and, you know, there's a bigger family repercussions too of, of families that shift work family life just must be so difficult. Like yeah. Grant and I made the decision very early on that that wasn't for us. I think even when he was working in the NDT field, we went apart really for more than two weeks ever. Mm. You know, it might have been a couple of nights here and there, but we made that decision because we didn't function that well apart. So, you know, just the idea of, you know, shift workers, they come home, it takes them days to recover they just get used to family life and then they're gone again. Like that, you know, that takes its toll on everybody eventually as well. Yeah. So, so you left, uh, you left Mackay. The end of 2015. Oh, okay. So you're up yeah. there for a good stint. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had both kids. We got married while we were up there, traveled the world while we were up there. We had a really amazing time while we were there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how did you find uh, bringing up kids in Mackay? Good. It was really, no, it was, it was genuinely really good. I mean, you know, you're right next to the beach. Um, you know, luckily the private hospital system was really amazing. They just had the kids there really well. Like, you know, and I had really good support group up there. Mm. So leaving Mackay was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm still extremely close with my mother's group and my friends up there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but your family, both Grant and yours were back in Toowoomba. Then. Yeah, back okay. around Toowoomba, yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's difficult, isn't it, when you're away from family and you're trying to bring up kids and, yeah. and uh, I mean, it's it's tough. Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, anyway, obviously, uh, yeah, you guys had a, had a good experience up there. And yeah, then we did. And so the decision to move back, um, well, I guess we if we go back a bit further uh, and we look at um, – we talk about Grant and his uh, his early stages of depression. Yeah. Because um, this was, uh, you said in 2005, he was diagnosed with depression. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. And was it something that he'd been uh, struggling with leading into that and, and how long for? I think looking, so, you know, hindsight's yeah. one of the most frustrating things. I know now that he's suffered with his mental health well before I met him as a 16-year-old. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they say the early, yeah, they say a lot of trauma uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of mental illness starts from, you know, that ages up to yep. up to five years of age. That's where it can really develop. Yeah. So I like just thinking of things that he, he told me and I don't know, I guess when you're young and you're idealistic, you know, you're sort of like, oh, yeah, we can battle, you know, battle anything together. I think for a really long time we did mm-hmm. and, we, you know, we managed to 
Now it took me a while, but you know, I remember we looked at the Beyond Blue website and we found a GP in the area and you know, we actually went through all those stages. This was before you, this is the first time you went to Yes, yeah, so this is back in 2005. Yeah. So, you know, and this, this took a long, like years for me to get him to this stage. You know, me, you know, me going, you know, you need to get help because I'm very fortunate. I come from a family where, you know, actually seeking professional help isn't an issue. You know, you need help, you go get it. You know, I'm very lucky that I've been brought up that way. It's not a weakness. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it took him a while. So yeah, he found a GP, he was diagnosed. You know, he's got the suggestions of going to a psychologist, but he was unemployed at the time. So he just could never justify the extra cost. And this was one of the biggest problems as well with Grant. So um, he started on some meds, had some anti-anxiety stuff. Um, and we decided, yeah, sort of at the end of 2006 to move to Mackay. So I could have a start, you know, restart and do, you know, try a different industry and do something different there. Yeah. Was, uh, was he, uh, was he withdrawn a lot? Was it was the sort of signs that obviously led you to that was, was to, to actually take the leap to go and uh, get some professional help? Yeah. Um, was it just, what, tell me some oh, of the signs. so long ago, I'm trying to remember now. Um, yeah, not but sleeping. he, yeah, he, Grant suffered a lot from not sleeping, the withdrawal, yeah. um, you know, being ashamed, not being, wanting to see anyone. Yeah. Um, very anxious as well. Like there was many periods, my friends, you know, if they're listening, they'll be able to remember where, you know, he'd never turn up to things and I'd always have some lame excuse, you know, trying to cover for him, but he yeah. just, it was just too much. He, he had this thing in the family that we call McEwen lateness and he was ter terrible for it. So, you know, he'd drag his heels out the door mm. or, you know, he'd literally tell me five minutes before he was supposed to go that we, he wasn't going. And I was like, oh, why couldn't you just tell me this like two yeah. hours ago and I could have just dealt with it. And anyways, it is what it is. So, yeah. So, so you got professional help. So you had some medication. Yeah. Um, and, and then you decided to move to Mackay for yeah. a fresh start. Yeah. And so was there regular consults to the, to his doctor and psychiatrist he, or? well no he didn't he didn't see a psychiatrist till last year okay. so that's a, that's a long way in the future okay so yeah i think he was someone who we went between gps for a while as you do when you move and you know it's hard when you're younger to even get into a gp sometimes because of money so we managed to find a really amazing gp while we're in Mackay, um who um got him on some meds and grant settled really well you know so despite work, I mean, in his job, he was working massive hours, but, you know, it's... It was like 14 hour days or something. Yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he used to drive out to the mines, you know, so it's a good two hour drive, work for, you know, 12 hours and drive home, you know, those sorts wow. of things. Yeah, those every sorts night. of days. Not every night, but quite yeah. often. I mean, some some weeks he'd rack up over a thousand k's of driving. But, but he, would, he wouldn't he would stay out there, he'd drive home. It depend, depended. Like some nights okay. he'd have to drive to Bowen some, and then the next day uh, he'd have to go to Moranbar. So he'd come back to Mackay and yeah. so yeah, massive, massive workload. But, you know, but, you know, I guess it sort of counted for him because, you know, we had the money, we could travel, you know, he bought a boat, like, he, you know, he lived the lifestyle of being in Mackay to the it, fullest. It's amazing how many of those mining towns, the boat ownership. Oh yeah! Oh, look, it's it's a absolute status thing, absolutely. Yeah, driving through Carrara, I mean, you see every house almost yeah. has got a boat. Oh yeah, and it's like, it's uh, it's the thing to do, I guess, because they're in remote areas as well. Yeah, I assume that they have you know two weeks on, two weeks off. Yeah, and there's definitely a bit of keeping up with the Joneses that starts to happen in those communities as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so how did you? Or how did it feel? How was Grant? feeling at that point with his mental illness yeah i think um 
he was really good when we moved up until 2020. I'm just trying to think when we go to Europe. 2012. 2012. Um, yeah, we were, we were saving up. We went to Europe. So we got married in the meantime, you know, yep. to start to do a bit of travel. Because there's a seven-year period there where you moved to Mackay. Yeah. And, he, and you were managing. Yeah, yeah. When well, we were managing. I mean, you know, he'd have the odd day off and, you know, he'd have lawyers and stuff. But it was nothing that we couldn't manage. And what things were you doing to manage it? Was it more, was it obviously, was medication a part of it? How yeah, was exercise? he was, he was on it, yeah. And I mean, this is a time when, you know, he took up spear fishing and kite surfing and mountain biking. And, yeah, right. you know, we always, we had a really relaxed lifestyle. We were always doing something. So, um, yeah, I guess it really, you know, I mean, things changed a little bit once we had the kids, but, you know, we were able to support each other, I guess. Um, but I think for him... Things started to change when we went to we went to Europe in 2012, and while we were gone, the whole time we stressed about going back to work, and that for me was a real concern. And we actually went back to the GP when we got back, and the GP was like, "You are so stressed." He's like, "You know, I want to put work cover in for you," mm-hmm. and Grant refused because he didn't want it to reflect badly on the family-owned company. So he that sort of from then on, it was just it sort of just started to deteriorate again for for him. So he ended up quitting that job. Um, had a had a couple of months off. What year was this now? This is 2012. Yeah. Yep. Had a couple of months off. Ironically, just sort of went to me. He's like, let's start having to try and have a baby. I won't, you won't get pregnant. People never get pregnant right away. <laughs> this guy got <laughs> pregnant right away. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we spent the first, I think, four months of my pregnancy fairly stressed out. But, you know, he we had low period, but he got back on track and then we were fine. Yeah. 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 And that's your, who's now, six-year-old daughter? No, oh, son. son. Eli. Son. Eli, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's 2012. That was after your trip to... Yes, after Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so then he started started a different testing job in soil testing. That was really good. Um, he was there for a little while. Then the company, because mining boom, work slowed down, so he realised that he was going to lose his job, so he actually managed to get a job at the council, Mackay Council. Okay. So he worked there until he left. Yeah. And doing machinery? No, he was actually doing water testing then. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man of uh, many different times. careers, yes. Good on him. Okay. And so then you left Mackay yeah. around 2017? No, 2015. 2015. Yeah. I've I got a, I was actually got a transfer. I put in for a transfer while I was on maternity leave um, because the way the education system works, you need to have a certain amount of points to be transferred within regions. Yeah. And you get more points when you work. Yeah. So unfortunately though, Mackay is only worth two points, even though it's literally in the middle of nowhere. So, and it costs a fortune to live there. So yeah, I'd had to work I think it was seven years or six years to actually have enough points to get transferred. And I thought, oh, while I was on maternity leave, I thought, finally, it's my year. I'll put in to get transferred and they actually transferred me while I was on leave. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really rare. And really yeah. Oh, and I got Toowoomba, which is apparently like the holy grail of education. If you can't get to the coast, Toowoomba is like the next best option. So but we, I wanted Toowoomba because we wanted to be near our families. Yeah. 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 But in the meantime, I mean, I, you guys had a good circle of... Friends and a good network up there in Mackay. Yeah, absolutely, we did. A good community. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, good. So then, how did you how did you feel going back to Toowoomba after being away for effectively seven, eight years? <laughs> well, we always joked that there was no way in hell we'd go back to Toowoomba. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just it's where you grow up. You know, you want to break away and you know do something different. But Toowoomba, thankfully, had changed quite a lot in the time that we'd been away. There's been a lot of action up in Toowoomba. Yeah, it's actually a bit hipster and cool now, which I can't <laughs> believe I've put Toowoomba in the same sentence as that. <laughs> but, yeah, Toowoomba's very different now. So we, we always knew that we didn't want to live in Toowoomba. We live about 20 minutes outside. 
because um, we wanted a you know half acre, lots of room for the kids and that sort of thing. So yeah, we we managed to find a really nice spot and we were really happy with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. And so you so you went straight back into your job. Yep. Uh, at this point, Eli was twenty months old. Twenty months old. Yep. Uh, and then, okay, so you made the move back. Do you get the boat back down to Toowoomba? No, we had to sell the boat. Oh, we, had to sell, boat. we had to sell okay. the boat. No, we sold the boat when I was pregnant with Phoebe because we were at the point where, you know, because he changed jobs so many times. Yeah. And because it was on maternity leave and I couldn't go out with kids, that the boat wasn't getting used. Yeah. So the boat had to go. Very okay. sad day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how was Grant's, uh, the decision about Toowoomba, was he... Was, was he happy? Oh yeah, no, he was. He was so he was so excited. I mean, like, I because of because of traveling with the kids and stuff, we couldn't afford for us both to go down and house hunt. Mm. He would. He was flying every second or third down weekend down to to find a house. Okay. So he found the house. We bought the house. I hadn't even seen the house. Wow. Yeah. So he was really excited. He knew exactly what he wanted for us, and he yep. found it. And you and so you moved there, and then you obviously got your job. Um, Straight into the mm-hmm. school, uh, high school. By the way, what were you, what subjects are you doing? Um, this year, because it changes all the time. This year, I am teaching literature and art. Oh, there you go. Well, there's yeah. the artistic flair coming yes. through again. Yeah. Oh, good on you. Okay, so then, and then Grant. What did Grant do when he came back? He struggled to find work. So I actually started full time going back, which in itself is a bit insane. But anyways, we're going into that now. Yeah. But um, yeah, I went back full time. Um, and Grant, I don't think he was as active as he could have been. He's one of the one of the biggest active in looking for a job. Or yeah, active and he 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 physically he was still trying to mountain bike and stuff, but he'd actually hurt his um, shoulder the year before. Mm-hmm. But I think one of Grant's biggest hang-ups was that he never found what he thought his perfect job was. Yeah, you, know, you can tell by the career changes that you know he was always looking for something. So he. This really started to upset him. And as many times I said to him, I said, you know, why don't you retrain? Why don't you go to university? Why don't you do something? He just never had the confidence to actually do it. So it took him a while. He didn't actually start working until September of 2016 after we moved. Okay. Yeah. Effectively like eight, nine months. Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, it was, it was, it was good for him because he got to spend time with the kids and stuff when it, which was good because I was so young. Um, but you know, those sorts of things, they all erode your self-confidence. So, and so by sort of June, July, he was really starting to struggle with his mental health again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, he found a job, mm-hmm. which was doing, uh, doing soil testing on the Toowoomba second range crossing. Oh, there you go. He's back mm-hmm. in the, the, back in the testing, testing field. Yep. Good. Okay. And, uh, but then as we get into 2018, uh, his, his mental ill health was Coming back. Yeah, 2017. 2017. Yeah, 2017. Sorry. Yeah, so I think for me, this the job that he was doing on the range crossing, it's like it flicked something in his brain. So I don't know if it was because he was already struggling so much before he took the job and he was already so high stress. Maybe also, you know, the fact that the, the stress that the company put on him was absolutely unfair. Mm. <laughs> Applying pressure, you mean? Well, I'm, I'm trying to. Try, I'm trying to be very careful with what I say legally because I don't want to have them sue me. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, put it this way: Grant was working in a situation where, as an NDT, you have different licenses to work with different isotopes, do different types of testing. 
Okay. So in his last, when he did after DENDT, which was like three years, three years before that, um, he had specific testing for a specific isotope use. And in this soil testing job, he had to have a different set of testing qual- um, accreditation. That work site refused to release him. So over Christmas, he started having nightmares because he was driving around with an isotope. He didn't have the right well, qualifications for. Yeah. He was worried that he was going to get fined. He'd lose his job. Because, you know, the, the fines for us personally was something like 12 to 20 grand wow. if he was caught with that isotope. Wow. And so he was, he was caught in this whole thing of, I have to have a job. I have got, you know, I've got to be productive. I've got to do all these things. Um, they won't release me for work. I'm really fine. I'm enjoying the work. The work's too much. And the company actually underquoted what they, per test, what they were quoting. So he was working like insane hours. And there was a big period was that he was the only person testing on most of the range crossing. It's 40 kilometers long. So it's a huge, huge wow. section. Yeah, a huge thing. So he was working six days a week. And it got to the point where they were like, oh, we don't even know if we're going to keep you on at the end of your probation. So that's why we're not sending you away to get this isotope training that you're legally supposed to have, which in itself is a joke. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Um, and then he ended up, the national accreditor went to the, check out the lab on in January. So this is ironically the first day I went back to school the next year. So, and I'd just gone back, dropped back to part-time too because I was like, I could see how stressed he was. I was trying to counter everything. And, um, and you and, had your second kid at this point? Yeah, 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 yeah. Phoebe was, Phoebe had just turned two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the national creditor went to the lab and he realised that they'd actually changed documents to say mm. that another person had done all this testing with him to legally cover themselves and he put mm. on the spot. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Like I can't even believe yeah. that I'm saying all these things out loud, but that's actually a situation that someone it can still be put into this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It uh, is. It is very interesting. And so, and so that then you obviously um, with, so he quit on, on the spot. He quit on the spot, but it wasn't until it had already done a lot of damage to him. Yeah. So it took its toll. Yeah, it absolutely took its toll. I still remember, um, you know, I think I've, I tried to, when someone, in your life is upset or you know they're really anxious stuff like that you try to counter things you know you try to take the pressure off mm-hmm. and i remember he was always so very spontaneous and i loved him for it but he really had to go away between christmas and new year's he's like literally at christmas he's like i want to go away and i was like oh, how are we actually going to be able to afford to do this anyway found you know found a place did that and got, you know we went to calandra and stuff for a couple of nights but the whole time he was just um just a mess like i was on eggshells the whole time around him and it was at that point where I actually realized that something's changed now. Like this isn't like it's not like nothing I could do would, could relax him. He mm. wasn't happy. Like he wasn't happy. He wasn't comfortable. He was just high, highly strung the whole time. And, that, and that's the worst you've seen him at, that. Like you've never seen him that bad. No, I've never seen it was different. It was different. Mm. Like when he was in a low, you know, he'd sort of, I don't want to use the word mope around, but he would, he'd mope around. He'd do, he'd do crazy things like, take the exhaust off the Commodore or, you know, just do, do just crazy, crazy, silly, you know. You love cars too, are Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely I love a joint love of cars and the family. Um, so, no, this was different because it, he became snappy and really anxious and he wasn't – he started treating me and the kids differently and that was – yeah, I think it was a bit of a shock to the system when I realised that that had actually happened because he wasn't – he wasn't – the same loving father and the same loving husband that I'd 
known him as for, yeah. you know, like 18, 17 years. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been met in high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And been together since high school. Cool. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty rare these days, but I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. So, yeah. so then, uh, did he re- did he rekindle with his previous GP or the- no? Because this is a problem. We'd already moved, so we managed to find a really amazing GP where we are now. He's been phenomenal, and then Grant actually went to another GP in the same clinic, also phenomenal. She was really great as well, and actually then there was another one. So three three GPs who we saw, but they want they all knew like we had really good relationships with all three of them. They all knew. And particularly um, one of the, the old, one of the older doctors that we saw, she was like, you know, she's like, you've got to do something about this now. You know, this is this is not okay. That you shouldn't be putting up with this at work. Like, you know, you need to. And he, she was actually like, just quit. It's not worth it. Just quit. Like, you know, she was really on board. Yeah. And so the discussions of him seeing psychiatrists actually happened for I think about a year before he actually finally went and saw one. Could you, because he felt it was was self stigma. Like, was it was it the fact that he didn't feel like he was? Oh yeah, he was it, a weakness. To going, going, or just was uh, it the money. It was the money was always a factor. However, I knew that you know I would find money. You know how you when in those situations you find money somehow somewhere. Yeah. You know, like we could have borrowed from our family. Like yeah. it wouldn't have been a problem. I think it was absolutely the shame around it. Okay. So just the the idea that he'd failed because he'd gone to a psychiatrist, he'd failed because he'd gone to a psychologist. So, yeah. I mean, and we had the same thing when we started trying to get him into hospital because it took a long time to finally get him into somewhere that, you know, just I remember the G, being with, with the GP and with him um, for, I reckon, for an hour and she was just like, I'm really concerned about you. You need to go to hospital. And he was like, no, just like, I'm not like, no. Nah. I'm promising that I'm, you know, going to go home and we'll do this and then he just wouldn't turn up at house, at the house. Anyways, that's the story for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely a lot of shame and stigma for him around it. Yeah, so, okay, so he was still actively going to the GPs and, and then yeah. and when he finally, it took him a year, but when he finally went to the psychiatrist. Yeah, uh, things things deteriorated a lot more. Um, in that time. Yeah, from, so from Jan, like, so from January 20, 2017 to January 18, things continued to deteriorate so you like he quit his job and he found another one it was actually working at a local farming company um in Toowoomba and he worked in the warehouse in the dispatch section and you know he really he enjoyed working with the people there and he really liked that but he was still all over the shop so erratic yeah erratic erratic not sleeping you know all those sorts of things and he started to um, just not respond to phone calls or, you know, you know, you know how you're like, oh, what time are you going to be home? He's like, oh, I don't know. And so yeah. he'd be like, it's actually not an answer. Yeah. So, you know, things that were really unusual for him started to creep more and more into our everyday lives. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and meanwhile, you're still working part time. Yeah. 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 Uh, and your, your kids were going to, were they? No, they were still at kindy in 2017. Okay. So, yeah, they were still in kindy. Yeah. Okay, and so you notice obviously his behaviour was was changing. He was a bit uh-huh. more distant, withdrawn, uh, not behaving like the, the grant you knew. No, no. So I um, you, you know, you can only continue on with things that much before something has to break. And I actually was sort of adding for months and months and months. I thought, well, I've got to get him to someone. Maybe I can get him to marriage counselling. It's like because it's, it's actually starting to break us. Yeah. You know, we were always so strong as a team, but it had started to break at the foundation of who we were. 
So um, yeah, got him to marriage counselling and that worked really, really well for a while. So I think he started that in June and he went to the end of November um, and he was going every week. That was joint therapy? Yeah, it was. We So we were going together about once a month. I'd go once a month for a check-in, yep. but it was really for him. Okay. So it was, yeah. And so it was good. He settled a lot. There was a big, big improvement. Like things still weren't perfect. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But there was a big improvement and he was, you know, starting to re-engage with us. He was starting to get his confidence back and all those sorts of things. Um, and then during November, he decided that he wanted to go off of his antidepressants. So, which I was not a fan of because I didn't think he was ready. So he... Uh, he made that decision. He made that decision. He went to the GP and he talked over the GP. And I think... Um, I don't think the GP... Because I don't think the GP realised the scope of what had actually happened. You know, it's the reality of the what it is when you... Yeah. Okay. It's a reality of it when, it, you know, you see a different doctor all the time. That's Sometimes that's going to happen. And the decision to see different doctors, was that... Uh, his choice? Was I think it sometimes it just came to hand. Like, you know, it's one of those... Whoever was at the clinic. Yeah, I think whoever was there, because sometimes particularly when someone is really low and you call up and you're like, look, it's an emergency, I need a mental health yeah. appointment. If they can even squeeze you in sometimes, it's like, woo, it doesn't matter who you see, like you just need to get in there. So anyway, so he went off, went off the antidepressants and it was just, things just imploded. It just... Yeah. Just got really bad really quick. And so he went to, to go to a, a hospital or because you, you, you tried to get him into Oh, hospital. yeah. Well, so so at the end of November, because he started to sort of just like disappear, but he'd go like out to his best friends or whatever. So it was fine because I knew where he was. But yeah, at the end of November, he had a massive blow up and he actually disappeared for a week. Mm. Just like literally grabbed a heap of stuff. One of the door was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be back. So I was just standing there. The kids saw it and I was like, what is going on here? Like, what is this? So something that I'd never seen before, so an explosion I'd never seen before. Um, so, yeah, so he went missing for a week, um, didn't respond to calls, didn't respond to texts, and, you know, like, you, like what do you do in that situation? Like, how seriously do I take this now? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and anyway, he turned up at the end of the week and was like, it was almost like, you know, I'm really sorry, it's not, not going to happen again. But then that just continued. The sort of cycle just continued, you know, he'd get frustrated with something, so he'd just pack up and go. I'd never know where he was. Yeah, um, yeah so it, con- it continued and by January, like, I was like, you know, I took him to the GP and the GP was like, you need to see someone like now. I said, I can't do this, like, you need to see someone. So in January of 2018, he finally decided to go to a psychiatrist. Um, and in the meantime, he'd actually also realised too, one of his um, co-workers at his job actually killed himself over Christmas. Okay. And he was really concerned he was going to do the same thing. So he talked to work about it and work actually got him a psychiatrist through work, a psychologist through work as well, which was really good. Oh, okay, so that was at the same time. Yeah, so sort of January, February, all that sort of started mm. to kick into place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so you went, did it take long to get an appointment with a psychiatrist? Well, psychiatrist, I think we were really lucky. I think it was only three or four weeks, which is amazing considering some of the stories I've heard from Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a woman um, a couple of months ago from my area and she suffers uh, suffers from PTSD and it, she couldn't get an appointment in Toowoomba for five months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's way too long. So, and the only reason she got into someone more quickly was because a new psychiatrist had just come into town. Mm. 
So yeah, so the waiting times can be quite horrible, like really quite horrible. And that's, uh, yeah, and that's that inconsistency of, of service, but also the waiting times mm-hmm. in in regional areas and, yeah. and remote and rural areas, even access to them is, is just difficult, isn't it? Yeah, well, even um, even just to get into a psycholo- the psychologist, like I know my, for me, my psychologist, I have to book in, you know, a good, I always make two, two appointments in advance. But if something immediate, like if there's something urgent, I know that I'm not going to be able to get into it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Yeah. And it was the same situation. His psychologist that he sent through for work was very popular. So, you know, he could barely get an appointment once a month. And, you know, he really needed more than that. Yeah. So, uh, so okay, so they had a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you find the psychiatrist? <sighs> um i think we'll see it was really hard for me at this point because i didn't want him to feel like i was overbearing i wanted him to be proactive so i didn't actually start seeing his psychiatrist until i think he asked me to go with him would have probably been probably been like maybe may oh so he was doing sessions by himself yeah so he was going by himself and i didn't meet his psychologist until july um because he was going. So I was like, okay, you're going, that's fine. That's great, <laughs> like, don't have to stress you, you know, you're being proactive and doing all these things. So I think um, he, I think he, he liked his psychiatrist, but I think he was concerned. He had, he had a lot of concerns about some of the drugs that he was on and the side effects of those. I was gonna say, was he back on medication? Yeah, yeah, he, um, yeah, he was just, he'd always been on Cymbalta on and off. And so the idea, one of the ideas, going to the psychiatrist to make sure that he was actually on the right drugs. Okay. Yeah. And didn't like his medication. No, I think he went to a lot of a lot of medications. I, one of my biggest issues, I think, with Grant is I still feel very strong that he was misdiagnosed. So you know, he started on lots of medications. Um, I think I caught Grant several times actually researching bipolar. Mm-hmm. And he, even his psychologist, actually said he's like, I think you've got bipolar, but his, it was like his psychiatrist refused to actually say you have bipolar. So at one point, when I actually, when he was in hospital, and I actually had a meet, like I went in one morning and had a meeting because I was really frustrated with everything that was happening in the hospital, and his psycho, his psychiatrist actually said to me, oh, he's just depressive with bipolar tendencies, and I was like, what is that? Like what is that? What does that mean? What is that? So is he by like and I think I think that's I think Grant sort of felt that he was misdiagnosed. I think that that's one of the reasons why he had a lot of trouble with the drugs because he wasn't sure. He hated them. He hated the way that they made him feel. Yeah, Mm. I can't say that they actually helped anything because I don't think they did. (laughs) Mm. So that's yeah, it's pretty massive. So so then he was. you then uh, winter school holidays that year. You, yeah, you, you was you found him going to take his own life. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then you try to get him to access to a hospital. Oh gosh, yeah. So things continued to deteriorate. So between January to yeah, June, July school holidays. So I think it was the beginning of July. Um, I because when he was in the low, he was really really quite angry. You know, this kids and I, anything we did was a trigger. Any sort of noise because he was very noise sensitive when he was low. Um, so I actually took the kids out to my mum and dad's so we could have a bit of a reprieve because it was school holidays, you know, kids Mm. need to have fun. So I came back the last Friday morning because I hadn't heard from him for two days. And I sort of said to mum, I said, I've got to go check on him. I've got to see what's going on. Because my figuring was always, 
if I'm not at home, at least I know he's at home. Mm. I don't have to worry about where he's in the ute, what he's up to, like, because the mind boggles when you wonder about just what they could be doing. So um, at about eight o'clock in the morning, got home, um, pulled up in the driveway, went to open the garage and the garage wouldn't open. I was like, what's going on here? Like, is there a blackout? Like, what's going on? So anyways, went around, couldn't open any of the house doors. Everything was locked. You know, I was like yelling and banging on the door, trying to find out where he was and what he was doing. And my brother's a builder. He, he was only working five, away, five minutes away up the road. So I was literally calling him going, can you come out, come out, like help me break into the house because I've got to see what's going on. And Grant opened the door and he was just an absolute mess. Mm. And um, yeah, and he actually admitted to me that he was, he had, he's like, I'm ready to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't do it yesterday because it was his dad's birthday. He's like, I couldn't do it yesterday and I'm ready to do it today. And, and you know, you, you're not supposed to be here. Mm. So then you, you were trying to get into the hospital? Yeah, yeah. So, so straight away? Well, I actually um, had called his dad on the way over and had said to his dad, you know, like, I'll text you as soon as I know where he is and what's going on so he can come and help me because, I, like, I, I'm, you know, you just know things going to be bad. So, um, yeah, on his, his dad arrived and when his dad arrived because he, was, he hated his family seeing him like that, he nicked off. So as soon as he, really, he actually slipped out of the door and he went missing. So I called the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist was away. Psychiatrist receptionist said, okay, call the base. Call the base and get advice. So this is Toowoomba Hospital. I call it the base because that's what's been called for years. Call Toowoomba Hospital. All right, call the Toowoomba Hospital. Their advice. Call the ambulance or the police. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, so I called the police. And within about 20 minutes, someone was there. Started doing a local search. Started getting a missing persons photo, which is just, that's in itself is traumatic, trying to get that organised. Mm. Um, and then the search team from Oki actually arrived. They walked into the house. They were going to start coordinating where they were going to start searching and he walked in the back door. Mm. Well, he'd actually been sitting in the sandpit at my son's school because you can see it, the house from there, just watching everything, mm. trying to work out what to do. Yeah, right. And then as soon as he realised that there were more police coming, he's like, I better come home. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, the, and then they took. Yeah, the, well, that's part of protocol. Like, yeah. as soon as the police are involved, they have to take him in. So that obviously was devastating. Like, oh, the look on his face when he realised that was just. Yeah. Oh, I think it's the worst look he's ever given me in my life. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we went into the went into the Toowoomba Hospital, and got a speeding. I got a speeding fine on the way in, because <laughs> I was thinking so clearly. Mm. And um, yeah, went in. So did all the paperwork. And he got in and then what they do in, in this situation is there's a supposed team that talks to you and sort of works, walks you through what's going on. So I was pulled into one room to get interviewed. Grant was pulled into another room. And I was interviewed for about probably about an hour, 50 minutes maybe, about what was going on, what had happened. So I was interviewed. Grant was interviewed. Our stories didn't match up. So... Then I was allowed to go into the room with him and the psychiatrist, the hospital psychiatrist actually walked in and said, oh, look, I don't really think that Grant's suicidal. I'm not sure whether he should stay or whether he should go home. And I was just sitting there going, oh, my goodness, like, just, mm-hmm. are you, are you, do you not understand that he was brought in by the police? Like, you don't just call the police for just, yeah. it's, it's Friday, let's just call the police. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we were then in this limbo situation because Grant was all sweet and peachy because he thought, oh, sweet, I'm going to be able to get home. Like, you know, I'm not going to have to stay here. It's going to be great. And then when he realised that I was not budging, I was not taking him home, it was like mm-hmm. because 
this could not continue anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like he just turned because he realised that I wasn't going to take him home. I, I couldn't at that point. I knew that there's no way in the world because I don't think we had it, we were booked in to see a psychiatrist until Tuesday or Wednesday as a psychiatrist was away. There was no way in the world because Grant didn't want anyone, didn't want the kids there, his family's no one in the world I could have looked after him on four days on my own yeah. in that state. So, yeah, he was finally admitted, but it took six, almost six hours of me just being like, I'm not taking him home. Mm. I'm not taking him home. I said, this isn't good enough. He needs to be checked in for that to happen. And how long was he admitted for? Well, he was put on the um, involuntary mental hold, so what's that, 72 hours? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then released? Well... So this is, and this is where it gets really confusing because no one really explains very well to the families what actually happens in this part of this process. So, because they took him up there, so I went home and got some stuff and went in. Um, and then every time I talked to someone from the hospital, someone different, I'm assuming it's because of the way that the shifts work, which is understandable. But, you know, it's, it's really agonizing having to go through and explain what happened to every person you talk to. And then as part of their stay, he had to come home for a night before they'd actually check him out of the hospital mm. so which in itself I didn't understand what was going on so I had this call to come and take him home so he can have a night at home to see how everything is before he goes and okay. before he's che checked out I was like what like it wasn't explained well so I was it was horrible because I was already so stressed out about mm. him because he hadn't been very welcoming to me in the hospital because you know in his mind I'd put him in there yeah. which I sort of had um, and so to have him there like that and then, then they'd be like, oh, it's right, just take him home for the night and we'll see how it goes and then bring him back the next morning. Like after the way that the admission had gone, like if things had gone badly, like what options did I actually have? Mm. Call the police again, call the ambulance again. Like, yeah. oh, so yeah, so they do this weird thing where he comes home for a night and then they go in, you have a little bit of a meeting and then, yeah, he was checked out and we went straight to St Andrews from there. Yeah. Straight to St Andrews. We were very lucky that there was a bed available because every other time, and I reckon we tried two or three times previously that year to get him into St Andrews, there was either no bed or he refused to go. Yeah. And St Andrews is just, uh, it's another private. Yeah, it's the, it's, yeah, there's only two private hospitals in Toowoomba and it's the only one that, with private health, mental health facilities there. Okay. Uh, so he willingly went? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how long was he there for? He was there for about three and a half weeks. So I think being there had its really good positives. So he loved um, being around people who were also struggling with their mental health. You know, people that we need, you know, for different reasons that might be struggling or changing their meds or, um, you know, for whatever reason, he found a lot of solace in being able to talk to them because, you know, he was able to, they were all able to relate to each other. And I think that was actually the, one of the best things for him about being there because mm -hmm. it started to break down some of the stigma for him. Um, they did day patient programs on the Wednesday, so he'd go along to that. And he was he actually was really keen about complete like continuing that after he left. Um, I think one of the biggest downsides for me is that St Andrews actually gave him a bit too much freedom because he was allowed to have his youth there. So he would come and go from the hospital as he pleased. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having a bit of a reprieve or a break for the kids and I, as selfish as it sounds, it just didn't happen. Because even while he was at the hospital, I was still worried about where he was. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and the kids would have been too. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they were a bit too young. But, like, yeah. you know, we, we had points where, you know, we go to visit him in the hospital and decide that he didn't want to see us because he was in a low. 
And like that's a really hard situation to be in to explain to kids, yeah. you know, to be like. So, yeah, so it was really because, you know, he'd just turn up, uh, you know, and then it was sometimes, you know, he'd be late leaving so the hospital would be calling me going, where is he? I'm like, well, isn't that your job? Like, yeah. so, yeah, so a little bit too much freedom, I think. So I never don't think he really actually had a chance to settle in properly and focus on actually improving himself. Was this an expensive process? Well, we were lucky enough that we had private health. So because he was publicly admitted first, they actually paid the excess for it. So one of the biggest things to remember too in this situation is that we were unlucky enough that we actually didn't have, because of all the different levels of health cover now, we actually didn't have the mental health on our hospital. But the amazing lady at the psychiatrist's office actually told me, and I can't remember the name of it, but there is a once-off that you can actually say to the private health that you, there's a, I can't remember what the form is, and you can actually call up like Boop or whatever and say, look, I need to put in this form and they will instantly take take up off the waiting periods once on any private health policy. Oh, right. And a lot of people don't know that. So you can actually... Yeah, so you're so right. Yeah, so so I think because we tried in, I think, May to get Grant in previously, I'd actually already put that on there. Like I was already Mm. paying the extra premiums and stuff. Obviously, I wasn't going to change it. But yeah, a lot of people don't realise that, that you actually have this one. So like you've got to stay on that premium, obviously. But the options that it opens up for you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's worth knowing that that's actually... I I wish I knew the name of it. I can't remember it so so long ago now. No, that's okay. So, okay, so that helped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that excess was all paid for. So three and a half weeks in St Andrews yep. uh, and he was enjoying it. He felt like it was good. Obviously, the yep. freedom he was getting was, was questionable from, from your point yep. of view. But, yep. uh, and then after three and a half weeks, discharged? Discharged. Um, while we were there, we actually, I actually finally went in and met his psychologist and his psychologist was actually very keen for him to change psychiatrists because his psychiatrist was also concerned about the misdiagnosis. So that was a hard situation to be in because, you know, Grant was working with a psychiatrist that I didn't didn't genuinely have a lot of trust in, was a bit concerned about. Um, And then, so Grant actually went to the GP while I was at St Andrews one day while I was at work and pretty much saw the GP about everything but getting a referral to see another psychiatrist. So that option, we never even really got a chance to discuss that option. So that was one of the problems. Another problem is that, Grant sort of just told me, he's like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll call me when they want an appointment with me at the psychiatrist's office. Anyway, no phone calls. Mm. And I actually called up and made an appointment. And, um, yeah, they just were just like, well, that's – I was like, how has no one made an appointment? Like, mm. no one's following up on this. Yeah, where's the follow-up? Yeah, so we got to the, the problem, though, within about three weeks – um, Grant had decided, I think, that he didn't want to see the psychiatrist or a psychologist anymore, so he started refusing treatment. Mm-hmm. So then there's even less options again because as soon as someone's refusing treatment, you can't do anything. So, you know, his psychiatrist actually said to me, because I went in, I went into for the appointment, I was like, well, bugger, I'm going to go and at least try and talk to him, see what options I do have. And his psychiatrist actually admitted to me that he'd never had a patient like Grant before. He wasn't sure what he should do. I was like, well, that's great. Thanks for the the support um and then he's just like well i haven't seen him in the last three days so i can't even call the base hospital about it and i was like there was no option and then his psychologist was like i can't help you because i'm not allowed to talk i was like i get that but what options do i have he's like nothing he's like i'll call the psychiatrist but i'm not going to be able to do anything either wow yep 
That's frustrating. <laughs> oh, it's so frustrating. And definitely something I want to get your thoughts on what you think yeah. uh, moving forward, what, what should be, because I know you're out there campaigning Trying and to, doing yeah. a lot of canvassing, yeah. which I want to get to. Um, so as a result, he's denied uh, any more help and yeah. took himself off, which ended in him taking his own life. Yep. Uh, how many weeks later was that? A couple of weeks? Is it beginning of October? Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, as a result of this experience that you've been that you went through, yeah. Um, and I couldn't imagine what that would be like. What? How is it? How is it? How has it driven you to now be out there doing this stuff? Tell me. Well, I think. I mean, obviously, I want to honour him. Mm-hmm. You would cry at some point. No, it's okay. But when you're in a situation where you're trying to get help and the only advice you're given is call the ambulance or the police, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for anyone. It's not good enough for families. Like, you know, I was in a situation with Grant where if he even even thought that I was going to call the ambulance or the police again, he would go. Like he'd just pack it up in the ute and he'd go missing again for days at a time. So... That really wasn't even an option for me, even if I wanted it to be. Mm. So I just, yeah, I don't understand how there's no mandatory follow-up. I don't understand. It shouldn't matter whether you're public or private. If you're in any sort of mental health facility, why isn't there a follow-up? Why isn't that something that can be done? Because, I mean, if you're in a good state of mind, you're going to go willingly. But if you're not, that's if that's not the biggest red flag ever, I don't know what is. Mm. And so, and so you're out there campaigning for these a specialised facility. Yeah, yeah. T- tell me more about that because I mean, clearly, I mean, and obviously we we're trying to see that there's a shortage in, in help. There's oh, absolutely, a there in the is. Professional yeah. side, and and they need more people coming through the workforce yeah. and be able to get accessible to even regional areas. Obviously, clearly, yeah. and the waiting time is is an issue. Yeah. But what do you think is the solution? Because so, you're, you're going down the track of the specialised facility. Yeah. So talk I, to me about that. I really believe that the only way that we're going to actually help change the stigma about getting hospital help is by actually having specialised facilities. Mm. So facilities that are just for mental health patients. Separate, completely separate. Absolutely, completely separate. And, you know, somewhere where it doesn't matter whether they're picked up by the ambulance police or taken by the family, whether they go themselves, if, you know, they're in that great space that they're able to do that. But where they're assessed there and then they're either moved up if they need to go to, you know, the more, you know, the locked up, I shouldn't say the jails, but that's what I call them, the jail services, or where they actually can go, you know, take a step down and do day patient, um, you know, programs and stuff. But it needs to be somewhere where people are welcomed mm. because that was it. Like Grant had decided, he had decided after going to the Toowoomba Hospital, he would not go back because the the you know everything was locked up. Like even the outdoor area had mesh along the top of the roof, so no one could climb out. That that was it for him. Mm. And you know, even for me to you know, I had to get bars in the facility. I could only see him in one room. Like it's yeah, it's just it is you know, it's almost dehumanizing when you think of it. You know, some people genuinely need those services, but people who are struggling, who want to be some like families want them to be somewhere safe where they feel valued. Mm. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so the action that you've taken as a result of your experience, yeah, uh, and and you've been very active. 
um, obviously the articles in the newspaper, yeah. but also um, also writing to ministers. Yeah. T- tell us about that. Um, yeah, well, I started, I started back in April. I guess I've never been a really big political person, but I figured with the federal election, it's time to, you know, time to do start doing some talking. So um, I wrote letters, the exact same letters with different different names in them to Stephen Miles and then also my local man, um, local member, Pat Weir. So Pat, within a week, Pat Weir had made a meeting, time to see me. So we've, you know, had many discussions about this. Um, and it took about six weeks and I got a very genetic letter back from Chris Wakefield, the attorney general, not even from Stephen Miles' office. So he flicked, his office flicked it onto somebody else. And the letter was so genetic, generic and so heartless. I was just like, how is this? Yeah. How is this how you respond to a mm. widow who lost her husband six months ago? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was put some fire under my butt, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and made me wanted to, yeah, start seeing a lot more change. And so now, so tell me about what you're doing now then to do this. Oh. I mean, obviously, clearly you're coming to conferences to spread the word and share yeah, the I'm message. Trying, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is really, really good and, and courageous for you to be putting yourself in that position. But, I mean, clearly, uh, I mean, you don't want this to happen again. No. Right? No. No. So, so yeah what else what else can we do well i'm trying to i'm trying to talk about it yeah i'm trying to talk about it like as awareness yeah as awareness and i mean i'm in this really yeah yeah i've opened up my instagram account which has a public education employee i'm not supposed to do but i've done it but (laughs) (laughs) it's do you you want to share what that is oh it's beth um, beth McEwen, still lowercase i'm pretty sure i'll double check and maybe we can put it in the program notes yeah yeah um but I think it's just talking about it. I mean, I'm in this really interesting position too as a high school teacher because we're not supposed to talk about suicide with the kids. You know, we're not supposed to go in depth with it. So coming back after Grant died, I was in this real sort of in this area of, well, what, how much can I say? You know, like the kids knew that he died. And I think I've slowly, if the kids asked me, I will tell you, would say, you know, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. I've got no qualms in saying that. But I'm in this really interesting public sphere. I'm not supposed to talk about it. It's yeah. like, well, it's not good enough. I have to talk about it. So it's why I'm doing one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing because I know that if we don't talk about it, mm. his his death's just going to be another death that's just like, oh, well. and Another statistic. Another statistic and even within the Downs, so since Grant died, I know of another three families that have been affected by suicide. Mm-hmm. So, and that was, that one of them was within a month after Grant died. In Toowoomba? Yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's happening all too often. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's so many factors, particularly with the drought and everything that's going on, but it's yeah. just... And do you think there's, there's a room for like a professional and we and uh, the uh, Chris Burns, the South Australian Mental Health Commissioner, I was speaking to him as well, and he was saying it'd be great to see the professional peer workforce to be able to come into to schools and talk about mental health and educate kids because to put that burden on teachers... Uh, oh, mean, it's... So to have a professional come in and actually be able to talk to them. I actually, I've got to be very careful about how I say this now as an education employee. It's very frustrating as a teacher, the increased workload that we have now, but also, you know, part of the EQ curriculum at the moment is that we teach a subject called wellbeing, which is great. But I've actually told them, 
that I did not want to teach it for the next couple of years because of the mental load for me because all when I had a year eight wellbeing class last year so this is like around taking time off while Grant died mm-hmm. all they wanted to talk about was drugs and mental health now I'm not specifically trained in talking about mental health yeah and so coming back after that, after Grant's death, and then them not knowing, like they didn't know how he died and all those things, obviously, but having to try and talk to explain to them about mental health, that's not good for my mental health. Yeah, yeah. So the flow and effect is massive and I'm absolutely for, and that's why one of the reasons I love um, the charity Living is because they actually yeah. have school programs that go out. That start on the Gold Coast, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that, that's why I think, think we need think more things like that where people actually get out in communities and talk about it. Because I still remember one of my fir- at my first school, we had a girl, um, she killed herself my third year there and over the summer holidays. It was absolutely horrible because she was only in nine, mm-hmm. right? And I just remember all the advice that we sort of got, like they had, count- they had lifeline counsellors stuff at the school, but all the advice was like, oh, we shouldn't talk about it because it might be a copycat. And it's like, well, yes, but how is that actually helping anyone? It doesn't help anyone with grief. It doesn't help anyone actually, you know, compute what's going on. And I think we need to find better ways of dealing with it, full stop. Yeah, and also another big point is is mental health in the workplace that Mm -hmm. you've raised. Like how do you feel safe no matter who your employer is is to be able to go to them and say, listen, I'm struggling. Yeah. Or, or maybe we shouldn't be teaching that. Maybe someone else should be coming into yeah. this part. And this is one of the biggest problems with Grant because every time we tried to talk to an employer about it, and it wasn't the first time when he was really struggling in Mackay, I went to an employer, his employer, and they actually called me up and they were like, so what is this about this depression? Is this a new thing? And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's That's like, what the employer said. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you guys are right. So that's, yeah, so it was pretty much the writing was on the wall for Grant then. Like it wasn't very, it was only within six months that he'd left yeah. there. But his last employer, like when he was proactive and he got help and, you know, he did the, went to this, went to the work psychologist and all that stuff. I was like, this is good. Like this, they're being really supportive. They actually sent him home at one stage for being unfit for work because he was just, you know, yeah. he's exhausted. And uh, so he was away. So we had some time off, psychologist, psychiatrist, did all those things. And then when he went to return to work, they actually kept pushing back his return to work meeting. One of them, he was too anxious. He was so upset he couldn't go. And I think that they sort of saw that him going, you know, I'll stuff you all, but it wasn't. He just actually, he physically couldn't go. It was such a mess. And um, so their their solution, because his workmates were anxious about him coming back, they decided that they were going to change his department. Mm-hmm. So he, they actually decided to take him out of where he felt safest at work and put him in a new spot. So he quit. He's like, I can't go back. Everyone knows now that I've been in hospital, I've done it, yeah. that I've been sick. It's been a thing of gossip, you know, and he actually quit. And that was that was it. Like, yeah. I, And I was so devastated by that because I actually thought it was going to be different, mm. but it wasn't. It, it's, a, it's a big thing. It's and, massive. And the stigma, the employers, employees, being able to feel comfortable and, and taken taken as a serious condition mm, like yes yeah. this isn't something like i mean to be fobbed off as the latest thing and, and no. uh yeah i mean that's that's just that's what we need to stop yeah and and that's something that we're obviously we're trying to do and be active active with we've created our first workplace mental health conference this year where we can actually get employers yeah. to come along and actually realize what what they should be doing um what they um what the conversations, how to create a culture of uh, of support and well-being, yeah. um, but also a safety. A yeah. safety and I mean, I'm really lucky. I think 
my um, deputy principals and stuff that I've got a new principal this year, they were really amazing last year for me and I had lots of support, but it was things like, you know, we have an EAP program, mm -hmm. but um, my psychologist wasn't covered and it was like, that's fine. And then I called up, I was like, all right, what about my kids? Can I get some help for my kids? You know, because by yeah. the end, when Grant was really sick at the end, I just started taking Eli to see a psychologist because he was just getting, you know, it was just all too yeah. much for him. And, uh, you know, Eli was too young. He's like, oh, we only cover kids over 12 or something. I was like, how is that? How is that helping? Like, that doesn't help anybody. That specific psychiatrist? No, just the, the actual program. Oh, okay. The program. I was, it was eight, it was, maybe it wasn't 12, oh, it might have been younger. For your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah. well, how is that? How is that? I'm like, so what you're telling me that kids under eight or whatever don't have them, it's like don't need oh help and support. Yeah. yeah, so that that was just like, another, that's what I mean, it was just one blow after cool. another. I just went through this period of like, we can't help you, we can't help you, we can't yeah. help you. And I was like, oh, geez. Well, well, you know what? And this is what it comes back to is having people like yourself, Beth, to be able to be out there. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes these incidents and it shouldn't. No. But but this this drive uh, and the passion and the energy behind this, what you're doing, and we need more people like you. I mean, there's that are out there not not separately but in a joint way to come mm. together and say because i mean there's so much more power combined yeah to be go ahead to go ahead and try and campaign and yeah get this stuff the momentum and i think this is the the most i think humbling thing that came from the abc article so a couple of months ago i was interviewed by Josh bravis it was amazing he was he did the most sensitive job on a very hard topic mm. And um, some of the feedback that he's gotten from me is, um, you know, he has flicked me a couple of emails and I've been in touch with some. And the, the people who have the exact same mindset as Grant, mm. you know, if I'm ever that sick again, I'm not going back there because mm. they just hated it. And, like, that, that's not okay. Like, those yeah. people, you know, when someone's that is that bad and they realise they need to get help, they should not feel intimidated about what sort of services they have access to. No. No, and that's why I think what you're doing is said. I mean, I, I can't commend you enough and rally behind you and support with what you're doing. Uh, I think it's amazing. I think obviously what you're doing is is courageous. Thank you. To be putting yourself in a vulnerable position and going out and doing this, uh, I just super appreciative, obviously, of your time. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I said, we need more people like you out there and and a pathway to improve this because, yeah. like you said, it's it's not satisfactory this no. is this is not a, it's what's currently happening is not not working no uh, but then again knowing the problem how do we get the solution and so being part of that uh, of that process which I'm sure you will be mm -hmm. uh, and I'm really looking forward to following up uh, on your on your journey okay sounds good because I think I think there's going to be a lot a lot of stuff happening as a result of this and fingers crossed and if you need more support um you know sing out and uh and we can see what we can do to help but awesome i just think this is critical yeah me too and trust me like i've i've said to you so many times already that i'm not a public speaker i'm not someone i did not want to do this but it's something that i have to do i yeah. have to like i can't i can't leave this stone unturned yeah and you know what even if if it saves one life i mean it's been worthwhile yeah i mean i know it's going to save more than that but if we can if we can get this the system and the process and, and improve that and shine a light on on what needs to be uh, improved and yep. fixed, then, you know, you've done a really good job. Yeah. W was there anything you want to say in closing? Is there any uh, sort of comments you want to make? Is there anything? Well, um, I mean, the only other thing, 
I mean, I think a lot of people are struggling to understand, again, like why and how I'm doing this. I think the biggest thing for me is my kids. Yeah. Um, I don't want them to be ashamed of their dad. Yes. And I also don't want to ever be in a situation where if in, if in 10 years' time my kids need those services, they're, they're not there. Mm. That would just be the most yeah. devastating thing mm. I could possibly think of. So, yeah. Yeah. And and also for, for, for yourself, so someone who's in a supporting role, yep. someone with a mental illness, yeah. I mean, is that also what you're trying to do as well? Oh, yeah. Just create more awareness and education? Yeah, absolutely, because like I was saying, like, I, was, I was lucky that I had, yeah, you know, my GP was looking after me, got me onto an amazing psycholo- psychologist who has literally put me back together and held me together. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons that I have been so well in processing things i'm not sure how to put it is because i actually saw her immediately after grant's death okay you got help yeah no she saw me immediately after and um and because my only concern i didn't know what to say to the kids and as soon as she's like she's like right walk me through what happened so i told her and she's like pretty much along the lines with well that's pretty shit, isn't it i was like yeah okay <laughs> and then she just said all right what do i tell the kids and she told me how to phrase it the kids and she's yeah. like she's like just don't drive for a few days okay all right and then it was just all that real practical stuff that i needed to actually go this is what's happened this is what i need to do next and this is what i need to do for the kids and i think that's sort of how i've been really strategizing things since well you're lucky to get some really good support and good advice yes absolutely i am i know how lucky i am yeah and the important thing is you take care of yourself yeah because that's you know that's really important so and obviously you're getting that help and support so uh, listen, I just want to say thank you and the strength for you to come and do this. We really appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure we're going to see more of you in the future, <laughs> whether it's on the conference, uh, in the conference of sharing a message or or doing news articles or whatever it is. But um, keep pushing those buttons. Thank you. Keep, uh, keep banging on those doors yeah. and, and fingers crossed we can get through. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Sam. Thank you, Beth. I appreciate it. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.